0: All this school year, we have been meeting the Holy Spirit and and trying to look at who is this mysterious, behind-the-scenes, and let me just use the word entity right now, who the Bible speaks so frequently about. If you were with us this past fall, we saw that the, the Spirit of God is, is someone fundamentally different. He is, he is fundamentally other, and it's captured in this term called holy, that he's called a holy spirit more than anything. Holy, of course, meaning from a biblical perspective, set apart, different, other. That this, this Spirit of God is not to be associated with our own spirit, or our aspirations, or our energy, or our enthusiasm, or our inspiration. But he is someone other and different than who we are. And he is not a something, but he is a someone. And discovering that just as we think of God in heaven as a person, and just as we think of Jesus Christ as a person, so the spirit is a person with personality. As well. If you were with us this past Christmas season, we saw how the Spirit of God is on the move, constantly moving and orchestrating God's greater purposes and God's greater plans in this world, ultimately leading people to Christ and through Christ to what God is seeking to do. If you were with us this past winter, as we were going through Galatians, we met the Spirit of God again and saw that. God gives his spirit as a gift freely to anyone who calls upon the name of God and puts their hope and faith in Christ and how the Spirit of God will draw us even closer into Christ and set us apart as well as a holy, chosen, covenantal people of God and will begin to do things in us. Will begin to, as, as Galatians will put it, bring about fruit, a crop, if you will, of his presence, bearing fruit in that he gives it wholesale. He gives it by the crate to each of us. And he does so simply because God delights in doing it. It's an inevitable byproduct of being rooted in him and in his presence. And we've seen that the spirit of God is going somewhere. He isn't static but he's on the move and he's going somewhere and he's looking to take us somewhere in his church somewhere and that he isn't finished with us yet and he invites us to walk along with him. And in that journey, to learn more about God, to learn more about ourselves, to discover more of who God is and find a richness of life and, well, that fruit of the Spirit Producing even more and more within us and through us as a result. Which brings us to today. And it's another aspect of the spirit that I want to share with you. And what I want to key in on here this morning. That the spirit of God above all things brings life. I want to share a passage with you. Many of you know it. It's probably the most famous passage of the Bible there is. Um, Maybe that's the second most famous passage of the Bible there is. So, uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's get to this week's slides, and uh, we'll let them go there. All right? But why don't we do it, by the way? Yeah. (laughs) Here's what it says. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, do I even have to go on? Yeah, you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have, have what, life. Everlasting life, eternal life. I sense some division on the wording here in the room this morning. King James, baby, right? You probably said begotten as well, didn't you? But they'll have life. I mean, if this passage sums up, hey, there we go. Let's give it up for the text, all right? (laughs) Because I could sense that you really needed it. It gets life. If this passage sums up the most, what I would call, lowest common denominator understanding of what the Christian faith is about, isn't it telling that what it describes God fundamentally doing is bringing life, that God's spirit brings life, that God is a giver of life. Jesus himself says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, not a half-life, not a shadow life, not a muted life or repressed life, not a sub Sub life that is below that which God knows. God comes to bring abundance of life because where God is, life breaks forth. And I love how in this passage he talks about life as not even being something temporary, not something fleeting, not something to just be seized for today because this is all there is, but a fullness of life that transcends even death a life that goes on forever. This is the business of the Holy Spirit, which brings us to this spring. This God who gives life, creates it, sustains it, and offers it to us freely this spring. We've been pecking at 1 Corinthians. These last few chapters, chapter 12, To 15. And in it, we've seen that though dead in so many ways, God is a grave robber. And God comes to dead and decrepit people and infuses them with life by sewing them together into a new body, what he will call Christ's body, and infusing life. Into it. And at the end of this this journey through what it means to be discovering new life in the body of Christ, we come to this epic chapter, the end of what we're doing in our spring journey here, this epic chapter, chapter 15, which is all about resurrection. Not just life now, but life to come. A resurrection, the idea that our bodies will be. Raised That God will go so far in giving life that he will literally take our dead bodies rotting in the earth and bring them back to physical, breathing being. And the picture that the Bible gives of resurrection is that we are changed as a people because of the resurrection. That the world is a different place because of Jesus' resurrection and that we are literally in what the Bible will call a new age, a promised age that God has ushered in through Jesus' resurrection. And the Holy Spirit's a part of that. He's central to it a part of Jesus' resurrection and a part of our resurrection to come. And the Bible talks about this as the absolutely central tenet and foundation of our faith. Now, I want to take you in to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today. I'm going to briefly show you what the Bible has to say about this in the very beginning of that chapter, but then we're going to kind of camp in the back half for a while and hopefully see more deeply this spirit of God who is offering this gift of life freely and how it changes everything. Let me show you this opening passage of 1 Corinthians 15 today. Paul writes this. Now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you of the gospel. The gospel that I preached to you. The one which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Look at what he says. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in Vain. Now, most broadly put, the gospel is what God does for us, not what we do for God. The gospel is a message or 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 or, or good news of God about how he is working, about what he is doing, about the gifts that he is bringing, and that which he does freely for us. Not about what we have to do for him. And Paul opens by saying, I want you to stand firm in this gospel because by this good news of what God has done for you, you are saved. You are, as John three sixteen would put it, brought from perishing. To life. He says, hold firmly to this. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And what you will see through the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 is that the gospel is firmly rooted in the resurrection. That without the resurrection, there is no gospel. And the entire chapter is about this, trying to root people in to see that without the resurrection, the gospel is meaningless. Now, I think a lot of people struggle with the concept of resurrection. Maybe you do here today. It just doesn't make sense to you. You're not alone. It didn't really make a lot of sense to the Corinthians either. Some people, I think, when they reflect on what happens after death, life after death, if you will. Some people I think are inclined to think, well, that's it. This is all there is. A few short decades of life and then nothing. Others, maybe more inclined to think that after these few short decades of life, our soul goes to maybe go and be with God somewhere. But for our physical nature, for our bodies, for the material world, that's it. Others may be more inclined to think that maybe we fuse back in with the universe. We go and become one with the world Around us, but the Bible has a different picture to life after death. It is a picture that God Himself will defeat death, that a day will come when God will literally renew and recreate the physical order, including our bodies, even if dead and that we will come back to life. The picture of the Bible is seen through Jesus, that even though dead, raised, back to life, and transformed in the process, and Paul will write that the gospel without this resurrection hope is meaningless. Worse, he says, we above all people are to be pitied as we are lost and perishing in our sins. Now, I would like to read to you the back half of 1 Corinthians 15 today. You can read the first 30 verses or so on your own. I encourage you to do things. It's in the faith training plan if you're following that. And if not, do so this week. Pick it up online. But let me pick up at verse 30 and see if you can pick up on how important and how central the resurrection actually is. Paul writes this from the message. Why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look death in the face practically every day that I live. Do you think I'd do this if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection and mine as guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah? Do you think I was just trying to act heroic when I fought with the wild beasts at Ephesus, hoping it wouldn't be the end of me? Not on your life! It's resurrection. Resurrection! always resurrection that undergirds what I do and say the way I live if there's no resurrection we eat we drink the next day we die and that's all there is to it but don't fool yourself don't let yourself be poisoned by this anti resurrection loose talk Bad company ruins good manners. Think straight. Awaken to the holiness of life. No more playing fast and loose with resurrection facts. Ignorance of God is a luxury you can't afford in times like these. Aren't you embarrassed that you've let this kind of thing go on as long as you have? Now, some skeptic is sure to ask, Show me how the resurrection works. Give me a diagram. Draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? If you look at this question closely, you realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this kind of thing. We do have a parallel experience in gardening, though. You plant a dead seed. Soon there is a flourishing plant. There is no visual likeness between seed and plant. You can never guess what a tomato would look like by, plant, by looking at a tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it doesn't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes from it will be dramatically different. You will notice that the variety of bodies is stunning. Just as there are different kinds of seeds, there are different kinds of bodies, humans, animals, birds, fish, each unprecedented in its form. You get a hint at the diversity of resurrection glory by looking at the diversity of bodies, not only on earth, but in the skies, sun, moon, stars, all these varieties of beauty and brightness. And we're only looking at pre-resurrection seeds. Who can imagine what the resurrection plants will be like? This image of planting a dead seed and raising a live plant is a mere sketch at best. But perhaps it will help in approaching the mystery of the resurrection body. But only if you keep in mind that when we're raised, we're raised for good, alive, forever. The corpse that's planted is no beauty, But when it's raised, it's glorious. Put in the ground weak, it comes up powerful. The seed is sown natural, the seed grown is supernatural. Same seed, different body, but what a difference from when it goes down in physical mortality to when it is raised up in spiritual immortality isn't that great does that give you a picture today of what the resurrection might be like now let me show you the role that the spirit has to play I want to quote that last line to you again today and here's what I read Paul writes the seed is is so natural. The seed grown is supernatural. Natural and supernatural, same seed, same body, but what a difference from when it goes down in physical mortality and when it is raised up in spiritual immortality. Now at first glance, at first glance, you may not see the spirit. Let me share it with you now In another version, here's from the NIV. It writes, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. The message will talk about being natural and supernatural. And IV puts it as natural and spiritual. And my bet is that 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 second reading has a little bit more traction with a lot of the assumptions that I think a lot of you carry here today. Because I think mistakenly, and and I want to underline that point, mistakenly. You believe that the Christian hope is that the eternal life that God offers means that when you die, your body goes to the ground forever and your spirit goes to heaven forever to live a disembodied existence with God in the clouds forever, wearing a diaper and strumming a harp or something like that. <laughs> that is not the biblical picture but the way that we tend to talk about natural and spirit might lead itself for us to think that way would you agree Don't we tend to think in terms of a division in this world and maybe within ourselves of our natural selves or our physical selves, but then our spiritual selves as well? We have a body, we will say, but we also have a soul. And we see a clear delineation between the two. And our body, we think, will die someday and go to the ground, but praise be to God, my soul will get to go and be with Jesus, Well, praise be to God. Your soul will get to go to heaven to be with Jesus, but that ain't done. It is a waiting room because the Christian hope is based not just in life after death, but life after life after death. That a soul may go to be with Jesus For a time until Christ comes again. But the day will come that we will see shortly as this passage will continue to tell us when Christ will return and the ultimate promise and the ultimate hope and the ultimate life that God seeks to bring will be ushered in. And we truly will have life, physical life from the dead. Now, back to those yellow words natural and spiritual. Bible translators of every stripe and variety have struggled to put these two words into terms that don't lead to misunderstanding but bring clarity to what Paul is saying. In times like this, I always find it helpful to go back to the original. Let's just go swim in the Greek. Let me give you today the Greek words, which you probably don't know, but you can probably figure out of what stands behind these phrases here today. Now, I transliterated into English characters, but look at that line again. So it will be at the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable, dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown... Psukikon. Psukikon. Give me a good Psukikon. Don't you just want to spit all over someone with a good Psukikon today. It is sown a Psukikon body. But it is raised a pneumaticon. A pneumaticon. Body. If there is a psychicon body, there is also a pneumaticon body. What is he talking about today? We know what stands behind this as ideas of natural and supernatural, natural and spiritual. Different translators trying to find different ways. Go with me into the logic and I think you'll find it with a few steps pretty easily. Psukakan. what English word might you see swimming in that stream of psukakan today? What does that sound like to you? What does it remind you of? And drop the kan at the end. Maybe just start up front with the psuke. Psuche, psyche, can you hear it? Think P.S., think Psyche. Have you ever heard of someone describe their psyche? A person's psyche, their their essence, their, their aura, their internal intangible bits. You hear it come out in fields like psychology. What is the study of psychology? Well, it's the study of the psyche. What is the psyche? Well, we often think about it in terms like this. The non-physical parts of who we are. Our emotions, our will, our intellect. Psychology is the study of the soul. You hear this come out in words like psychic. What does it mean to be a psychic? It means to be able to perceive the intangible parts and bits of another human being, right? To read them or to see them or to see the immaterial side of this world and what is to come. All of this is kind of finding its root in Sukkakon as we read it today. And what does it say? What does it say that we have not a physical body, not a fleshly body, a sukkan body, which encompasses all these kinds of things. Everyone has a soul. Everyone has a soul. It is as natural a byproduct as having a head, an arm, a knee. You're born with it. It isn't immortal. It doesn't go back in time forever. It was created. Thank you, Mom and Dad. And as much as my physical body is a gift from them to me, so my soul is a gift from them to me. From a biblical definition, everything that has life has a soul, a person an animal, a plant. Some of you are getting all hot and bothered here. They don't have souls. Well, may I just challenge you to explore what the Bible has to say as opposed to your own assumptions and see where that journey leads you. I will submit to you that from a biblical point of view, and I encourage you to test it, the definition of the soul is nothing more than the life force that animates a physical being. Have you ever seen a dead body? Not too many of you. I've seen a lot in my line of work. Have you ever seen a living one? Yeah, based on the earlier question, I'm not surprised. (laughs) They do exist. They do exist even if not witnessed in our room here today. Dead things and living things. Have you ever seen a dead animal? What separates it from a living one? Psuchicon. You ever see a dead tree? What separates it from a living one? Psuchicon. It's as natural as can be. Which brings us to the second word. It is sown at sukkakon body, but it is raised pneumaticon. Give me a pneumaticon here today. Pneuma. You might hear it in words like pneumatic, air-powered, wind-powered. If you will. And Greek and Hebrew alike, this same word, pneuma, stands behind wind, breath, spirit. Do you want to hear how to say the Holy Spirit in Greek? Hagia numa. There it is. He's a pneuma. What we have floating behind the second word is spirit. Not our spirit like our soul. Not a spirit as a natural byproduct of our creation. Not a spirit as the essence of who we are, but raised by. The Hagia Numa, the Holy Spirit, the one who is other, the one who is different, the one who is set apart, the one who is God, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, will take our dead bodies and pneumaticanas out of them too, because everyone has a soul, but not everyone has the spirit. But the spirit comes that you may have life and have it to the full. The Holy Spirit is fundamentally a giver of life. The gift that God gives through his spirit is life itself. He creates life. He sustains life. He gives life. And an ultimate stroke says, and I will give those who are in me eternal life. Fully, completely more full than the life you even have now. More real than the life you even have now. More glorious than the life you even have now. That can only be compared from the plant to its seed. That God's spirit will come to those who are a part of Christ's body. and infuse life with the hope of that eternal life to come, that God will change you. Jesus will describe it as new birth. And as much as we think of God changing us on the inside, God will change this too with a glory that can barely even be grasped. Let me give some other passages to you. Jesus says, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Paul will write through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He'll say, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life. He will write He has qualified us, us, not just me, but also you as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit does what? And Paul looks to that day to come. In 1 Corinthians, a day to come when Christ will come again and life will be given to the full. Let me read the rest of the chapter to you. We followed the sequence in Scripture. The first Adam, or man, received life. The last Adam, Christ, a life giving spirit. Physical life comes first, then pneumaticon a firm base shaped from the earth, a final completion coming out of heaven. The first man was made out of the earth and people since then are earthly. The second man was made out of heaven and people now can be heavenly. In the same way that we've worked from our earthly origins, let us embrace our heavenly or final ends. I need to emphasize, friends, that our natural earthly lives don't in themselves lead us by their very nature into the kingdom of God. The very nature is to die So how could that naturally end up in the life kingdom? But let me tell you something wonderful. We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. You'll hear a blast to end all blasts. From a trumpet in heaven, and in that time, you will look up and blink your eyes, and it's finished. Unsignal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At that moment, and in that same way, we will all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal replaced by the immortal. And then the saying will come true death has been swallowed in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he says, we have been given victory. Life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, because that's what God does. That is the work of the Spirit of God. This entity, this power, this elusive, mysterious, behind-the-scenes other who we are so quick to dismiss or treat it best is a subject of philosophical inquiry is the very life bringer of God himself. And the good news that heads this whole thing up, let me remind you, is that God, God offers it to you. Do you want life? Life to the full. Life that will never end, God offers it to you, no strings attached, no cost or payment to you, not judged by the quality of your character, not judged by the accumulation of your conduct. He offers it to you, life. He gives it to you freely. That's what God's spirit does. He offers it to you that all. who, as that famous passage will put it, believe in him, will not perish to be no more, but have eternal life. Or everlasting, if you prefer the KJV. Ah, seize it. That's what this passage is about. It's not just the idea of it. It's Paul begging a people of God to seize it and to root their lives in the spirit of God who brings it. And may his words echo out to us today.